This week, we take a look back at the life of legendary NASA flight director, Glenn Stephen Lunny, who sadly passed away on Friday, the 19th of March, age 84. And to do this, we're joined by the author of the wonderful book, Go Flight, The Unsung Heroes of Mission Control, Rick Houston. If you have a favorite Glenn Lunny moment, we'd love to hear it. Please share it with us on social media. We're at Space and Things One on Twitter or get involved uh, over on Facebook and Instagram where we're at Space and Things Podcast. And thank you all so much for your support and for listening. And right now, we really hope that you can enjoy episode 30 of the Space and Things Podcast. Listening to Space and Things with Dave Giles and Emily Carney. I'm Emily Carney. And I'm Dave Giles, and welcome to episode 30 of our podcast. This is uh this is one of those 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 shows, Emily, that I'm just not looking forward to. When we started this, it was obvious that at certain points we were gonna we were gonna lose some of our heroes over the course of doing this, and this this feels like one of the the first big mm-hmm. ones that's happened since since we started doing this, where I was absolutely knocked off my feet when the news came in on Friday. So hopefully we'll get through this uh, with without getting too emotional, but uh, it, it really is such such a sad time when when you lose someone as as monumental as uh, as Glenn Lunny. Yeah. Um yeah, hearing the news on Friday, it's just uh oh boy. <laughs> I don't want to get emotional already. Um it's just tough when I've met a lot of the people from that era, you forget they're in their 80s because they're still very sharp, they're very vibrant. They don't act elderly or anything like that. I mean, I know that sounds horrible, but it's like they're very very sharp. Like I met Glenn Lunny um, I think in 2014 at a ASF event, an astronaut scholarship foundation event. And, um, he was just very humble, um, very gracious, very giving of his time. Um, I was really struck. I mean, I didn't expect him to be a jerk or anything. I don't want to make it sound like, you know, that because I'd, I'd never heard anything negative about the guy in my life. But to me, he's such a towering figure of, early NASA. I mean, he started out, and we'll get into a little bit more of this um, in the episode when we talk about his uh, background, but he was really like a huge part of early NASA. I'm not sure, you know, many people know about it, so to me, I was kind of nervous going up to him and talking to him, and he was just very kind. I got the sense that he almost didn't consider what he did was important, Mm. you know? Does that make sense? Absolutely. He genuinely seemed... Um, happy to talk about his career, and uh, he just seemed very humble. I mean, just just normal, regular person. So, um, yeah, I, I'm very sad that I, I never got an opportunity to really talk with him a little more. Um, I, I would have liked to, but uh, but I do have his book. If you can find a copy that's affordable, I recommend it. And also, um, and we're gonna talk to him later in this episode. Um, and this book is readily available. So if you haven't read this book, you need to order it now. <laughs> like you need Absolutely. to just go to Amazon or go to the University of Nebraska website right this minute. Just pay the whatever $28 or whatever and just buy it because um, yep. Go Flight is just a classic. I think it should be required reading for anybody who's into space flight. Um, if you want to know a little more about 
Lunny and, and the people who worked in Mission Control during that era. It's just the definitive article, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, I agree. Um, and we're going to hear from Rick Houston, the author of that book, later in this episode. Uh, but let's just have a little look at the news stories from this week. How long can I leave that stuff off and still turn it back on any time at all? At the point of recording this on Tuesday evening, we've had just the two launches this week, uh, both yesterday, in fact, on Monday the 22nd of March. In Kazakhstan, uh, a Soyuz 2.1A rocket was launched carrying a number of different satellites, including the first Catalan and Tunisian satellites. Uh, this was launched from GK Launch Services, which is a commercial enterprise with, with uh, within that part of the world. Uh, and it's also the first time that a white Soyuz rocket has been launched since 1991, inspired by the Vostok launch vehicle, which launched the first human, Yuri Gagarin, into space 60 years ago this April, uh, so which, which is pretty cool. I like that tribute. Um, in New Zealand, Rocket Lab launched an Electron rocket, deploying eight satellites for different customers. Uh, it was Rocket Lab's 17th successful mission and their sixth consecutive successful mission. That's a mouthful. <laughs> uh, they're becoming a regular feature on, on the launch calendar now, and it's good to see. As always, I'll post video links in the show notes and embed them on our website. Uh, there is also a planned SpaceX Falcon 9 launch with some Starlink satellites for the early hours of Wednesday morning. So if that's happened uh, by the time I edit this, I'll put that in the show notes too. On Thursday, March 18th, NASA fired up the core stage of the Space Launch System, or SLS, on the test stand at the... T oh my God! Why can't I say Stennis? On... Yeah, mouthful. I know. On the test... <laughs> All the S's. Let me just try that whole graph over again. Oh my God. <laughs> on the test stand at the Stennis Space Center. Woo! In Mississippi. I finally said it. This is a test we've been wanting, uh, we've been waiting for them to complete. And you may remember they had to cut it short when they attempted in January, but this time the four RS-25 engines ran for just under 500 seconds, and it was a beautiful test. Uh, they're currently going through all the data before um, they can hopefully clear the core stage for refurbishment and shipping to Kennedy Space Center. Uh, where it will be put together with the rest of the rocket stages and hopefully will complete the planned uh, uncrewed trip around the moon sometime later this year. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed for SLS. Yes. And more news from NASA. Uh, President Biden has nominated former Florida Senator Bill Nelson to lead NASA. Bill Nelson flew to space as a payload specialist on the space shuttle Columbia back in 1986. Uh, now, Emily and I had speculated that it might be time for a woman to finally lead NASA, and there were certainly many names being thrown about, but they've decided not to this time, which I think is a missed opportunity. Uh, former NASA Administrator Charles Bolden, uh, who was also on that Columbia mission back in 1986, has has been uh, has suggested in an interview that he's happy with the appointment uh, as long as there is a woman as a deputy. I'm not sure that negates my own disappointment, but I do understand what he's saying i suppose who knows maybe i'll get the maybe i'll get the nod someday, someday. Uh, that would be amazing <laughs> one kid, nobody wants this to happen <laughs> i do nasa's like no that would be amazing <laughs> we'll see we'll see all right okay we've been getting uh, in mars news we've been getting even more wonderful footage and audio recordings from the perseverance rover on mars and over the weekend they dropped the protective shield under the belly of the rover which was protecting the helicopter named Ingenuity during the entry to the planet. 
They're preparing to drop the helicopter on the surface and have announced it could fly as early as April 8th. This is something we've, I think we've all been eagerly uh, waiting for. And it, it's going to be incredible when we see the footage it sends back. Yeah, this is possibly the thing I'm most excited about. All the, all the things we've had so far have been so good and above what we've ever had before. But this is what really sets this mission apart from previous uh, Mars missions. So, yeah, yes. roll on April the 8th and... and find out what we're going to see from that thing that's going to be amazing that's going to be nuts uh, so elsewhere i'm going to do a very brief roundup here so lego have revealed a new space shuttles discovery set which will also feature the hubble space telescope it's going on sale on the 1st of april and i'm pretty excited about that uh, spacex are preparing for a test flight of the starship sn11 prototype these are always fun to watch so keep an eye out on social media for that and at the Visitor's Center of Kennedy Space Center, there is a new rocket in the Rocket Garden. Uh, the last remaining Delta II rocket from the United Launch Alliance has joined the historic rockets on display, uh, giving a new burst of color with its trademark Delta Blue finish to the Rocket Garden. Then uh, This was an industry workhorse rocket, which uh, lifted off 155 times and it sent probes to the Moon and Mars, as well as deploying the first global positioning system, or GPS satellite um where would we be today if it wasn't for gps uh, i'd probably be lost somewhere that's for sure exactly uh, i'd be lost but anyway <laughs> that pretty much pretty much gets you up to date with uh, with the news from the space world this week okay that's your best judgment we okay. think we ought to close that off huh that's fine just drop it down to 234 yeah okay fuel cell number one reactant it's going off for us, there's one story this week which has dominated as we lost a mission control and NASA legend. Uh, born on November 27, 1936, Glenn Lenny's career in spaceflight spanned from humble beginnings at the NACA through the shuttle era. Having worked for the NACA through his college years at the University of Detroit, shortly after the establishment of NASA, Lunny became the youngest member of the Space Task Group at age 21 and was Chris Kraft's protege. Um, if you watch the TV series, The Right Stuff on Disney+, Plus, uh, you may have recognized that. He was also an instrumental member of the Trenches in Michigan Troll. Uh, I say Trenches because he was definitely part of the Trench earlier in his career, uh, from Mercury to the Apollo years. Uh, he is perhaps most famously membered for his calmness and action during the 1970 Apollo 13 crisis and his crew having come on shift a mere hour after the Odyssey uh, service module explosion. He also remembered, uh, from what I remember, he remembered Apollo Soyuz with great fondness, uh, having played an, an essential role during that mission. Lunny retired from NASA in 1985. Um, afterwards, he worked for Rockwell until his 1999 retirement. Um, now, here's something I, I honestly did not really know about. Um, his son, uh, one of his sons, Brian, followed in his father's footsteps to also become a NASA flight director. And he worked a lot of um, space shuttle and ISS missions, I believe. Lenny's book, Highways to Space, uh, was published in 2014. Now, if you can get your uh, hands on a copy... It's a must-read. Uh, it's an inside look into an epic career that spanned nearly hum every human uh, spaceflight program in NASA history. 
Yeah, th- th- this whole story really did upset me on Friday. I, I was only ever in a room with him once. I know we started talking about this earlier, but I was only in a room with him once, and that was when he was on a panel talking about the Apollo 11 landing at the 50th anniversary event at Houston Space Center in 2019. But he's always been he's always been a hero of mine, and the stories about him are absolutely legendary. And at that event, I mean, you mentioned earlier, he couldn't have been more humble. There were there were other people on that panel. Uh, one was an astronaut who, at, at this point, I won't name, but the contrast between the two of them talking about the program was was quite radical. Like you had this quite brazen America, the greatest person on one side, and then you had Glenn Lunny who just talked about teamwork and 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 how it brought people together and and the mentor inside of things. And he's this humble, quiet man who. Who, who just really inspired me and no, knowing that he was a leader and yet he was also so humble. It's like he was one of the main guys in that room and could be that humble and that thoughtful in his in his thoughts about it was was really something wonderful to see. Um, so I, I happened to be emailing one of his former colleagues this week. I won't say their name here, but I think these words say it all. Um, Glenn really was one of a kind, a giant in human spaceflight business from its beginning. And on top of that, he was just a great guy. Glenn's passing leaves a huge vacancy in our ranks, but the great memories and legacy he leaves will last forever. He was special. And with that in mind, uh, we asked Rick Houston, author of Go Flight, the unsung heroes of Mission Control, to join us today to talk more about Glenn Lunny and his legacy. Is there anything uh, simple that we can refer the crew to uh, to get them thinking about using the limb here? Have you got uh, anything in the checklist paperwork to describe to them what your intentions are? Negative, there's nothing uh, documented in contingency. We're thinking about using the limb as a lifeboat. We have some procedures here on the ground, though. Welcome to the podcast, Rick Houston. Uh, it's always been my hope that we'd get you on at some point. But I didn't think it would be under such circumstances, but thank you very much for joining us at this time. Um, as far as I'm concerned, you've written the most definitive book about uh, the people at Mission Control through the early decades of NASA. Uh, I know it required a number of interviews with many people who worked there, and I know it's impossible to sum someone up, but I was wondering if you could help us try and understand a little bit better about Glenn Lunny, who he was, both as a person and as a leader within Mission Control. Well, first and foremost, Glenn Lunny is is probably one of the most brilliantly intelligent people I've ever met in my life. He had uh, an almost instant recall of facts, figures, whatever you needed. And when you interviewed Glenn Lunny, you didn't so much have a conversation with him as you did basically just jump into the middle of a conversation that he was already having. And and you basically held on for dear life for the, for the rest of the conversation. Um, you, I, I remember very vividly doing the first interview for go flight with Glenn. And I think I asked the first question and he not only answered that question, but like the next 12 that I had, uh, he, he, <laughs> he talked and he, you know, he gave you all the information that you needed and then some, so, uh, it, it, it was a treat to uh interview glenn it was also an experience i can say that 
Uh, yeah, I can't imagine what that must have been like. Is, is there one story from the writing of the book, one story he gave you which you think really sums him up or uh, or, or you think is a real highlight or un, unknown story of, of Glenn? I think the story about Glenn that, that really stands out to me is his involvement in the Apollo 13 uh, incident flight. Of course, Gene Kranz was on console when the accident happened and for the next hour uh he and the rest of that room were trying to figure out exactly what happened uh there was a lot of chaos uh you could hear on the flight loops when somebody would talk uh you you could hear a lot of noise in the background typically you didn't hear that but when apollo 13 happened a, a lot of people came into the room Glenn was actually one of them. He was about to come on shift uh, about an hour after the accident. And so there were a lot of people in the room. There was a lot of things happening at once. And so there was, there was a lot of confusion. There was a, a, a lot of, of uncertainty and they were trying to figure out exactly what had happened and more importantly, what they were going to do about it. And when Glenn Lunny came on console when he took over as uh, when he took over the console uh as flight he he kind of started to bring and restore a sense of order to the the what was going on to the process and that's not taking anything away from gene that's not taking anything away from gene's leadership at all uh you know if it had been me on console I would have curled up into uh, the fetal position and started sucking my thumb. I would not have been able to cope in that situation. But when when Glenn came on board, I, I think that he during the during the hour that had transpired, I, I think in the back of his mind, I, I think he had probably started to formulate a plan. I think he had started to to you know ask the questions that he wanted to ask. And when he did take over, I, I think he started to put that plan into action. And I believe it was Ken Mattingly who said in uh, Andy Chaikin's book that he had never seen a sen any more strong a sense of leadership than what Glenn exhibited when he came on console. Uh, he, he, just, he just brought a calmness and he brought a, a sense of order, I think. Uh, and that of course began the process of, of bringing that crew back home alive. But that to me, that is the Glenn Lunny story. He, he brought that leadership and, and that just Titanic intelligence to the process. And he, yeah, I, I think he, along with many, many other people brought that crew home. You've talked about how like Glenn Lunny brought, you know, calmness and intelligence to the role of a flight director. Um, can you maybe tell me sort of a little bit, you know, about what his, I know he started very young at NASA as part of the, um, well, he started at the NACA and then he went to, uh, then he went to NASA and then, um, he was part of the space task group. I think when he was 21 years old, I mean, he was, he was a kid basically. Um, and many of us, who watched the uh, TV series, The Right Stuff, the one on Disney Plus. I don't know if you watched it, Rick, but um, yeah, he was like this little boy following um, Chris Craft and Bob Gilruth around. You know, I, I don't know how accurate that is, but uh, I thought that was kind of funny. But seriously, though, can you tell us a little bit about what 
made Glenn Lunny the way he was. You know, obviously he had a, a big mentor, I guess, in a Chris Kraft and other people who worked at NASA during that time. Well, I think one of the biggest reasons for his sense of leadership was the fact that he helped write the book on flight control along with Jane Kranz and along with Chris Kraft and, and John Hodge and so many other people there, there was no book that you could open and, and go to and said, this is what it takes to be a flight director or a flight controller. And so when NASA first started and, and, you know, crude launches began and mission control began, they began to write the book themselves. And Glenn Lunny was a huge part of that, uh, because, and, and again, because of his, you know, monumental intelligence, but I, I, Emily, I think, I think he kind of hit the nail on the head. Another, another reason for his, uh, role as a leader was the fact that he was one of the number one proteges of Chris Kraft. He and Chris, I, I believe were pretty tight. And I think that that was, you know, even more, it went deeper than even a professional level. I think that they were personal friends and, and mentors. Chris was a big mentor of, of Glenn's and he took to that sense of leadership. He took to that, that style. And so, you know, when you say that Glenn Lunny was one of the first four flight directors in the history of NASA, that's a pretty big accomplishment. And so, again, he helped create the role of flight director. He made it his. And, you know, certainly he had his style and Gene Kranz had his uh, above and beyond, you know, above and beyond both of them. You know, of course, Chris Kraft had his <laughs> style. And so, you know, they just took it and grew from there. There's a whole thing with the mentor uh, mentality within Mission Control, which which features a lot in your book. Uh, I wonder if it's part of your research or, or if there are stories within the book, which I currently can't recall off the top of my head, where who who was who was underneath Glenn? Who did he bring through? What what can we learn about him from that process as well? Because obviously he had Chris Craft, but who was who was he Chris Craft to? Basically everybody who followed. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I don't mean that I don't mean that uh silly. But, you know, when you, when you are a part of the beginning of an organization, you have an influence on everybody else who came along. And I, I think Glenn was, was probably closest uh, in, in, in sense, uh, in, in style, and, and certainly in, in the professional aspect. I, I think he was probably closest to the guys who were in the trench. Uh, he started out in the trench. He started out in that, in that job. And, uh, so I, I think that he had a lot of respect from the people who worked in the trench. And I, I know for a fact that to this day, the guys in the trench, uh, who are still with us, they, they looked up to Glenn. Uh, and as a matter of fact, it, it was Jerry Bostick who, uh, kind of let me know, uh, several weeks ago that, that Glenn was having some issues and having some health trouble. And so, uh, everybody looked up to Glenn, but I think the, I think the guys in the trench, the trajectory group was, was, pr they, they probably looked closest to him. 
it, I was reading your, I was flicking through your book again earlier, and you you refer to um, the MoCA, the Mission Control Room, as a cathedral, which I think is a is a wonderful expression. I've been there, and it does it does have that feel to it. Um, I'm right in saying that you've been in there whilst Glenn has been there as well. You've you've experienced being in the room with him. What was it like being in in that room? With that person, or, or, I know you were there with other people as well, but in particular, what what was your experience of seeing him re-enter that room years after all these uh, amazing activities took place? Well, first of all, the first time that I stepped foot in that room uh, was in July. I think it was July 2012. And, you know, I had visited other parts of the Johnson Space Center with my friend Milt Wendler, who was also a flight director during the shuttle program. And, you know, I, I had gone to the robotics laboratory and I'd shaken hands with Robonaut and that was cool. But, and then we went to the neutral buoyancy laboratory and that was cool. But the, you know, Milt wouldn't let me go for a swim. He wouldn't let me suit up and, you know, train (laughs) for an EVA or anything. So, you know, that kind of sucked. But then he took me into that Apollo era mission control room. And I've, I've told this story a million times, but. I, I, Milt opened the door and he stepped foot in the room first and I followed him in just a few steps behind. And as soon as I stepped, as soon as I set foot in that room, I was overwhelmed by a sense of history, just completely overwhelmed. And I had in, in that moment, I had tears come to my eyes because you think about everything that had happened there. And I, I knew the name Gene Kranz because of the movie Apollo 13. I I knew the name Chris Craft. I knew the name Glenn Lunny, but I didn't know that much about him. And in that moment, I knew that I wanted to do something to to honor the people that worked there. And about six months later, I had the chance to pitch the the idea for the Go Flight book. And next thing I know, I've, I've written a book and I was working on a documentary about that book, inspired by that book. And in the process of filming the documentary, I was able to go back to Houston and we had several of the people who had worked in the room there and we were going to film in the mission control room with several of the people who had worked there. And Glenn was there. Gene Kranz was there. Jerry Bostick was there. Uh, Ed Findell was there. John Aaron was there. Uh, Bob Carlton was there. And I get emotional even thinking about it now. But that is probably my number one favorite scene in the entire movie. Same. Is when those old men open the door mm-hmm. and they come walking into that room. And once upon, the ti- once upon a time, they owned that room. They were the kings in that room. And to be there in that moment, and it was pretty cool. Jerry Ross, uh, astronaut Jerry Ross, uh, who flew on the space shuttle, he was there. He's a, he's a friend of mine, and I had told him what was going on, and he said, I'm going to be there. He didn't <laughs> He didn't ask. He said, I'm going to be there. Well, he's, so he's I was Ross. standing right next to Jerry Ross on the far side of the room watching as these guys walked in and I'm telling you, that was the coolest moment of that entire press. That was the coolest moment of 
writing the book, filming the documentary, everything to just be there in that moment. And as, as you, you know, the guys were walking around, we took the photos and we did this and we did that. And I, I asked Glenn and Jerry Griffin and Gene Kranz and Milt Heflin, who was there also, I asked them to take a, a photo with me at the flight director's console. And I got to tell you, yeah, I, I was, I wasn't a space hip. I wasn't a space hipster in that moment. I was a complete and total space geek. <laughs> and I don't apologize for that. I'm getting, yeah. Uh, I'm getting emotional yeah. just hearing this because yeah. I don't think I could have. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was the most powerful moment of, of that entire process of filming the, of filming the documentary and writing the book. Um, and, and I think when it comes to somebody like Glenn and his family, I, I think in in a small way, the book and the documentary were were ways to let people know what they did, what Glenn did, and what Ed Findell did, and what Jerry Bostick did. Mm. Um, you know, the 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 space program as a whole would not have been possible without that entire team. No one person was responsible for human spaceflight. It was a team effort, and Glenn was a powerfully uh, influential person in that process, but he was not the only person. Gene Kranz was not the only person. Uh, he, Gene Kranz, I don't want to take anything away from Gene, but if you watch the movie Apollo 13, he saved the flight of Apollo 13, and that's just not the case. Glenn Lunny did not single-handedly save the flight of Apollo 13. It was a it was the biggest example not only in NASA's history, but I think it's one of the biggest examples of teamwork in history. Mm. Mm. So, you know, no one person was responsible. Yeah. For sure. Uh, and in fact, teamwork uh, is something they all bring up. Every single one of them bring up every time I've seen any of them talk about these things. And in fact, I saw a photo over the weekend, uh, this famous photo that I've seen many times before, but this version was uh, at the end of the Apollo 13 mission. Uh, Jerry Griffin, Gene Krantz and Glenn Lunny celebrating. And this one was signed by Glenn. Uh, and, it, and the caption he wrote above it was uh, the best team uh, best team experience ever or words to that effect he really valued teamwork I think all of them did um, I'm wondering Rick if, uh, if from your experience uh, of getting to know these guys whether they were aware uh, at the time of how historic what they were doing was or were they so wrapped up in that world that they w couldn't appreciate at the time that in 50 years time someone like me from the other side of the, the world who wasn't alive at that time would make a pilgrimage to go to that place and and, and do everything I can to learn about the, the people involved. Did, were they aware of that or, or not? Uh, to a person, every single person that I interviewed for GoFlight and that was interviewed for uh, the documentary, they all said we didn't know what we were doing was, was making history. We were just doing a job. We were just going to work every day and working long hours. And, you know, our job, our job just happened to be <laughs> sending people to the moon. And, uh, you know, somebody like Bob Carlton said that if he had it all over to do, uh, 
uh, if he had it to do all over again, he would never have done it. But at the same time, Bob also said, we knew that we were accomplishing something that was very, very important. And so, yeah, I, I think just human nature is, you know, the older you get, the, the more you look back on what you once accomplished and, and you think about what you did. And, you know, though the people who worked in that room in mission control, they have, they, they have something pretty special to look back on. And one of the most impactful moments for me in that sense was the space hipster showing of the film in Huntsville, Alabama. And Emily, that was so, that was so cool. Uh, we had done the showing and, um, Bill Peters and Bill Boone, who had worked in mission control during Apollo 13 and had worked in mission control during the Apollo program, they live in Huntsville. And so they were there at the showing of the film and they did a book signing with us, with me after the showing of the film. And as we were walking out, there was a line almost out the door. And Bill Peters, I will never, ever forget this. And again, I get emotional thinking about it, but Bill Peters looked at me and he said, I didn't know that people still care about what we did. Mm. And that right there was the reason that I wrote the book. That right there is the reason why I pitched the documentary film. That right there is the reason why the documentary film was made. So people like Bill Peters and Glenn Lunny and Jerry Bostick and Bill Moon and Ed Vendell and, and, and everybody mm. could know that people still care about the, what they did once upon a time. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm really emotional. Woo. <laughs> I'm not just saying this to blow, you know, smoke up your butt. Yeah. Uh, oh my God. That's a masterpiece of a book. I've read individual accounts of like Michigan control. Like I read Kranz's book. I read Kraft's book, yeah. you know, I have Lunny's book, um, which, uh, we'll probably get to it is, I think is a bit of a collector's item now. Um, it's kind of hard to find, but, um, if you can find it, I do recommend it, but go flight really just, I wouldn't say summarizes, but it beautifully sort of ties everything together. And it really just highlights, you know, all, you know, not just the major people, but, you know, there were people in there. I'm like, man, I didn't know somebody like this was in mission control at the time. Like people like Poppy Northcutt, I didn't know that, you know, at the time when I first read it. I think the book and, and the film marvelously succeeded because I, I got to get to know and, and meet in real life some of these people and appreciate what they did so i think your mission definitely was a success <laughs> oh i agree and i think that the real success story of the book is that it's about people and their stories uh we get to know know the backgrounds where they come from who they were so they weren't just these nameless people in white shirts and skinny black ties um getting to have more context about those people at the consoles and what made them tick uh, ultimately, it helps frame the bigger picture of the moon landings in, in, for me, a more positive light and makes it even more inspiring. Well, if I had, if, if the goal had been for me to write a book about the, the engineering and, and the science behind mission control and the trajectory 
angles and the the payload weights and the you know the the innards of of the spacecraft i can i can tell you this i would have failed miserably <laughs> i would have not been able to turn in a single chapter because i'm just a dumb writer i <laughs> i am not an engineer i am not a physicist mm. i'm actually the furthest thing from it i mean as a mechanic I know where to put the gas on my car and that's about it. I, I cannot repair a car at all. That's, that's how far that goes. Yeah. I'm the same. But the thing that I love about journalism is that everybody has a story and everybody in that room had an extraordinary story. And to a person with maybe one or two exceptions, they were extraordinarily helpful in telling their story because the fact of the matter is nobody had ever asked before for a book. I didn't interview everybody who worked in mission control. I didn't capture every story, but I think I got close enough to the mark where I was pretty, I was pretty satisfied with it. Now, that being said, as a journalist, the the book Go Fly and the documentary Mission Control, I don't know what I'll ever be able to do to top that. Mm. Wow! <laughs> and it's and it honestly and truly, it's kind of like my it's kind of like my moonwalk moment. Yeah, I mean, twelve people walked on the surface of the moon, and they were thirties, forties, somewhere in there. So, what did they do with the rest of their life? What are they ever going to do to top walking on the moon? Now, today, what am I, what am I ever going to do to top go flight? Yeah, absolutely. And mission control. So <laughs> if you got any book ideas, people, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> or more importantly, if you have a publisher. <laughs> to be fair, though, I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good topper. I mean, that's a good career topper right there. I mean, if you're going to have to say, okay, this is the pinnacle of my career or something like. I feel like your book is like the definitive, you know, okay, this is where I'm going to when I really need to, you know, inquire about yeah, something, yeah. you know, that that's the de the definitive version. And of course, and of course the documentary is just, I even have the t-shirt from the documentary. So I love it. Awesome. I'm very glad uh, you, you spoke with us. Uh, I know it's probably not easy given the circumstances. I send my deepest condolences to you and I'm, I'm sure Dave does. It's never easy to say goodbye to Absolutely. people and my stupid cats are fighting. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm trying to be like all like serious and I'm hearing meow in the background. So I apologize. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, you know, I, I was not a close friend of, of Glenn's, you know, because he was flight. He, he, he was Glenn Lunny, but I, I do treasure the phone calls that I had with him, you know, the personal phone calls and, and that kind of thing. But as far as him being no longer with us, um, he, he's at rest now. Uh, he had not been doing well for uh, a number of years. So, uh, he's at rest now and, and I'm okay with that. So, mm -hmm. well, I think that's the, the perfect time to wrap up this conversation uh, with you, Rick. And thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it really does mean a lot to us that you've, you've given us your time today. Uh, no and, problem. Uh, I hope that we can talk again about some other things to do with mission control or, or your book. Um, 
under better circumstances. But thanks so much uh, again. Awesome. Hey, Tom, I don't like the way that O2 pressure's going down. If you want to do something about these other reactant valves, let's make up our minds. And as always, the full interview, unedited, uh, in video form, will be up on our Patreon page uh, for our Patreon subscribers to go and have a look at. And th- there's a lot more of this interview on there this week. Uh, there was a lot more stories about other people that weren't Glenn Lunny, um, which I found absolutely fascinating as well. I'm, I know Emily did as well. We really enjoyed hearing hearing about them. Um, but in this episode, I really wanted to try and keep the focus a little bit more on Glenn Lunny uh, with, within how I edited this uh, the, the interview. But please go over and check out uh, that full interview if you're a patron or go and join now uh, at patreon.com forward slash space and things. But Emily, what, what are your thoughts uh, after that interview? Yeah, so that made me super emotional, but in, yeah. in the best way possible. Um, it was wonderful to... Uh, uh, just hearing those stories from from Rick, um, I, I, I've done a little bit of work with um, you know Rick uh, previously last year uh, for Space Hipsters. We had the these sort of biweekly Zoom meetings where we would have different guests. We did kind of like a show every Saturday or every other Saturday, and we would have guests. And uh, one week we had Rick Houston, uh, Milt Heflin, and uh, we also had Jerry Bostic on. God, it, and it just was super emotional. Like, you really got the sense, you know, that Rick, I mean, obviously Rick Houston really looks up to these men. It was just very unexpectedly emotional. You just got the sense of these guys were walking down the street or at a burger joint or something. You know, you wouldn't know who they are. You just get the sense that, you know, there's just so much history that these people pioneered, you know, and just just were such a big part of. But, um, to me, it's just sort of very humbling in a way, just talking to these people, you know, in, in any capacity. I'm just sort of tongue-tied. And um, I think we were talking about this earlier when we introduced the interview. You know, Lunny was... You were talking about seeing a panel with Lunny and there was someone else on the panel, you know, who was rah-rah and all this stuff. And Lunny was just very humble and I thought it was um, striking that you said thoughtful. And that really is true. You know, I, he seemed like... um somebody who is very focused and very like pardon the pun i hate this down to earth just a regular person who happened to be this incredible leader and i think that's really maybe part of why he was such a great leader was just he sort of had this quiet intelligence that motivated people to do their jobs i don't know to me it's very striking how this very quiet sort of thoughtful person was just so good at commanding a team and he was one of the best so I don't know. Those are some takeaways I got from the uh, interview with Rick and just from from sort of observing that little area of space history, I guess. What are your thoughts? Mm, I, I think when you you can see that when Rick talks about these people and his experience, that he has a huge amount of admiration and respect. And he's clearly very honored to tell their story. Um, and I think that gets to the core of who these people were, that someone who wasn't personally intimate with these people at the time has become so passionate about their stories and i get the feeling that he almost feels like he's um uh, a custodian of those stories he's so protective of them all um and i personally get more inspired by these people because of his reaction to them um i think uh, it's it's so difficult with the mission control people because they weren't the guys who walked on the moon but every time you watch fush, uh, you watch the footage of Mission Control of that era, 
Glenn Lunny's always there. And to, and to quote Rick, he's, he owns that room and looks so comfortable um, and at ease doing that job. Rick also mentioned the Ken Mattingly quote, um, Ken being uh, an astronaut who went to the moon as a command module pilot of Apollo 16 uh, and then later went on to fly the space shuttle. Well, the full quote about that Apollo 13 mission um, was this. Uh, the most impressive thing I've ever seen was Glenn Lunny when he walked into Mission Control and if there was a hero, Glenn Lunny by himself is the hero. Um, and that's really high praise indeed from from an astronaut, especially when the, the emphasis was on the team and teamwork always. Um, the quote continues, When he walked into the room, I guarantee you nobody knew what the hell was going on and Glenn walked in took over the mess and just brought calm to the situation. I've never seen a more extraordinary example of leadership in my entire career. Absolutely magnificent. And that's from an astronaut and a test pilot. And those guys were, were mostly unflappable. And, and then, yeah, they were all surrounded by, by leaders who, who were very calm under extremely high pressure. But, but Glenn, well, he wasn't a test pilot. An engineer, sure. And like many of those test pilots, he, as a child, he built his model airplanes. That's very different. But he went straight from college to, to working at the NACA. So he wasn't from that test pilot background. But he learned it somewhere. Maybe that was from uh, Chris Craft, or maybe just had that much confidence in the team that, that they had built, which gave him the confidence to be that leader. There's one video uh, at the end of the Apollo 13 mission. There's a gr- there's a great video. Everyone's standing up clapping, and and, and you, there's a close up of the profile of Gene Krantz, Glenn Lunny, and 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 Jerry Griffin. I think it is, and they're standing there. And there's no audio to it, but they're they're having a conversation. They're looking forward and they're kind of, you can see, they know the camera's there. They're kind of having one of those like talking out the side of their mouths conversation. I've always wanted to know what they said at that moment. Were they saying, get this camera out of my face? (laughs) Or were they they talking about like, job well done? I'm not a lip reader, so Mm. I could never tell. But it's such a great video of three, three guys at the peak of their career, standing there, celebrating a job well done, um, having just completed the Apollo 13 mission, which was nearly a disaster, obviously. And, and it's it's those little clips that you see, and it's the highlights of those little clips that I've seen over the last few weeks that have really moved me. Like when you see him as a young man, he, he will always be that young. In my head, I think of him, and that image of him there will always be how I remember him. Yes, I've seen him in documentaries as an old man, but he's he has such an iconic look. I know we think about Gene Krantz as being yeah. iconic, but Glenn Lunny also had an iconic look to him when he was standing at that console. Yeah, he he he's one of those people like when you see him in the documentaries for non-space people, if you don't know who he is, he's sort of there's something about him that sort of like summarizes mission control. Like you see him and you're like, okay, that guy is a flight director. Like you just know. Yeah. Um, last year, um, I know you were listening to it and pursuing the producing the the extras from it, but uh, Apollo 13 in real time, I was kind of glued to that during the 50th anniversary. It is one of the most impressive things I've ever heard. Like listening to that Apollo 13 audio from the beginning of the accident, you're just kind of reminded about how I don't know if this makes sense. I mean, I'm not trying to dismiss what happened and the enormity of 
um, the explosion or anything like that, but it's like you almost feel like as bad as it was, everybody was kind of in the right place to take care of it. Does that make sense? Because, yeah. you know, you had Lunny kind of come in and sort of like take command of the situation. When the accident happened, you had Lausma as the Capcom. And if you listen to that, he Jack Lausma is so calm. Yeah. If I was Capcom, I would have been like, wait, wait, what the hell? Like, I wouldn't, <laughs> there would have been no calmness. You can tell, like, they had the right people around at the right time. I used to be like, man, that must have been just chance. And now I realize it wasn't chance at all. It was training. Really good training. I mean, these guys were just trained to the T of if we have a casualty, we're going to try to keep it together. Yeah. We're going to try to stay calm. It's just a master class and just how to handle, you know, a crisis or something like that. So, And in, in his own words, uh, he felt that, that I, I'm quoting Glenn Lunny here, uh, I felt the black team shift immediately after the explosion, and he was the leader of the black team, and for the next 14 hours was the best piece of operations work I ever did or could hope to do. It posed a continuous demand for the best decisions, often without hard data and mostly on the basis of judgment in the face of the most severe in-flight emergency faced thus far in manned spaceflight. There might have been a better solution, but it was still not apparent what it would be. Perhaps uh, we could have been a little bit quicker at times, but we were consciously deliberate. And even there, he's just so humble uh, in what he's talking about. I know we've talked a lot about Apollo 13 today uh, because, as Rick said, it was rightfully the, the crowning glory of a lot of the people who worked in mission control. But it's worth, you know, Emily pointed out earlier that he he was uh, he worked on all the different programs right up to the space shuttle, but he was a flight director for the Apollo missions 4, 7, 8, 11, 14, and 15, obviously as well as 13, uh, and he le- served as a lead flight director for Gemini missions 10 and 12 and was also flight director on Gemini missions 9 and 11. So he was such an integral part of the team at that point. And um, to me, if I close my eyes and picture mission control and Apollo era mission control, he's in that image. He's one of the icons. You know, you've got yep. uh, Bob Gilroff and, and and Chris Craft at the back and then either Gene Krantz, Glenn Lunny or, or, or Jerry Griffin in, in the flight director's role and uh, and Deke Slayton sliding around in his turtleneck. Yeah. You know, those icon, iconic people and, and those people that I've just named definitely are those. The rest of the people can sometimes blur into, into, into the background because the majority of them wore the white shirts and the skinny black ties. It's, it's hard to often pick them out yeah he was an icon and i think that's one of the reasons why this this loss has hit hit me so hard uh this time is because he's one of my icons he's one of my heroes he's someone that i'm always gonna 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 think about when i think of what i think is the crowning moment of of uh of human achievement of, of this of the last generations um and not enough people know his name in my opinion. It's a great loss for the community. Yeah, absolutely. A big loss. Stand by. So that's all we have time for this week. Thanks again for all your support. It really does mean the whole world to us. Uh, these are the kind of shows we really didn't want to have to do. And in my opinion, it's almost impossible to sum up the value of someone like Glenn Lunny. But we hope that we've honoured him as well as possible. And we, of course, send our deepest condolences to his family and friends. 
Thank you so much to all of you for listening. And thanks again to those who uh, click the share button or buy our merch or donate. Uh, we really are very lucky. But as always, we uh, ask you to remember that in space, no one can hear you mean. Space and Things has been brought to you by And Things Productions.